AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. From grandmothers who whispered in their baby girl ear to fathers on dimly lit street corners instructing young soldiers to always keep their eyes open. You be queen. You were fire. You were passed through centuries on the hands of your daughters. They called you wisdom. Proverbs. On the backs of diamond-eyed school children who grew into hymnals recited by amethyst-holding urban philosophers who recited neighborhood commandments out of the windows of restored El Camino chariots to keep the warmth in their blood. Be wise. Be smart. Be black opal, brown quartz, bloodstone, and prayer. Be every form of gem. See, King told scribe, 
scribe told son, son told wife, wife told her daughter, and daughter told the ancestors, and the ancestors told me that you would come to give wisdom to thousands. They said you would come, dropping gems, dropping gems. Welcome back to another episode of the Dropping Gems podcast. I'm Debbie Brown. This is the show where we like to settle into a soft place to land, to unpack ourselves, to grab new tools for the journey, and to really expand our consciousness for our highest good. Today's episode is going to be so dope. Oh my gosh. Okay. So in the pandemic, I had a chance to be connected with an absolutely brilliant, amazing, pioneering woman in the mental health space. And we had a chance to be on a panel together, which then led to a podcast and led to me uh, just really loving and enjoying so much that she offers the world. And today we are ready to dive deep, deep, deep in a way that helps empower us to make better choices and to have lives that feel really nourishing, really full, and deeply connected to the community that we're aligned with. Today's guest is Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. Dr. Joy Harden Bradford is a licensed psychologist, speaker, founder, and CEO of Therapy for Black Girls and host of its widely popular mental health podcast. Her work focuses on making mental health topics more relevant and accessible for Black women, and she specializes in creating spaces for them to have fuller and healthier relationships with themselves and others. She is currently writing her first book, Sisterhood Heals, set to release summer 2023. Dr. Joy exists at the intersection of psychology and pop culture. It is always an honor and a joy <laughs> to be in conversation with you. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. Thank you so much for having me, Debbie. Such an honor. Dr. Joy, I mean, I feel like I have yet to to have the honor of breathing the same air as you, but I feel like we have been so connected since the top of the pandemic. You know, the, I just remember kind of that moment where I think for many of us, it clicked on of, I have, I have more tools to offer in this very scary moment for so many. Uh, how are you? Oh, I am hanging in there. <laughs> hanging in there. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like it is, you know, really best to kind of think about it, just kind of putting one foot in front of the other, um, you know, because even though, I mean, we're not out of the pandemic, right? Despite what, you yeah. know, many would maybe have us believe, um, you know, there's still a lot going on. And, you know, just on top of the pandemic, there's just so many other things happening in the world. Um, and, you know, personally, I'm also completing my first book right now. So, yes. I mean, so I just feel like there's just been so much chaos and everything going on. So putting one foot in front of the other and kind of holding on is is how I'm doing right now. You know, thank you for that transparency, because speaking to that, I think something that a lot of people um, might easily assume, um, especially with someone like yourself, that, oh, you you don't feel any of this. You know, there I think for a lot of people who start on the path, there's this assumption that you'll get to a point where everything will feel good all the time. And, you know, that's one of the biggest questions people kind of aim towards me just in my regular life. It's like, 
oh, so what do you consider a challenge? And I'm like, oh, no, no, every day is challenging. Life is profoundly challenging. I think for me, it's just the reaction or how long it feels like a personal experience shifts and is different. I'm able to come out of things quicker or I'm able to hold more neutrality or just have tools so that I'm able to come back to myself sooner. Um, What does that mean for you when you say you're hanging in there as someone that is a leading mental health professional? Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that, Debbie, because, you know, I I do think that there is sometimes that um, misconception, right, that, you know, because we are healing professionals or helping professionals um, that we are not impacted, but that could not be further from the truth. Um, You know, so a lot of what I'm talking about in terms of hanging in there is like keeping up with my own mental health, which involves weekly sessions with my therapist, Um, you know, because I definitely feel like there has just been so much anxiety for me. In the Mm. pandemic, um, just around, you know, keeping myself and my family safe and what does this mean and is it okay to travel? And, you know, I mean, it it just feels like there has been a lot. And so therapy has been incredibly grounding for me during this period of the pandemic, but also in writing the book, um, because I feel like, you know, this has been a, a stretch for me professionally, right? Like it's my first book. It's a new thing that I had not done. Um, and so with any new thing, there's like all these new challenges and like, oh, I didn't know that that was hiding in that corner, right? Um, and so having <laughs> having my therapist to talk about all of those things with has just been very, very grounding and helpful for me. Wow. Wow. I can't wait to dive into talking about this book that comes out. But one thing I'm really curious about, you know, as as you're speaking to especially the way you were showing up for yourself and for millions of people, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, did anything shift about the way you relate to what you do? Because I can imagine you're under duress as a being, as a human, as a woman with her own life needs, responsibilities, and you have to show up at such a high level for those that are coming to you. Did anything start to shift or were there any observations about that time? That's such a good question, Debbie. So I think like you kind of alluded to in the beginning, like in the very beginning of the pandemic, it felt like there was a huge need for people who do the kinds of things that we do, right? Like this healing, helping, like, okay, how do we ground ourselves and make sense of this moment? And so in the beginning, there were all these requests, of course, which is how you and I connected initially was on a panel for somebody, right? Um, And, you know, there are all these requests for like, come teach our group like skills to manage this and come do this and that. And so initially I think it felt like, oh, okay, well I can do this because I'm home, right? Like I'm not even having to travel anywhere to do these things. But I think a couple of months into it, I, I really began to feel burned out because even though I'm like doing these presentations and things from home, like I'm still like on, right? So, so yeah. there's still a lot that I'm offering. And so I think I had kind of fooled myself into thinking like, oh, this doesn't feel as strenuous as my schedule was before when I was, you know, in a different city a couple of times a month and, you know, really kind of on the road. And so one, I think it really caused me to like reimagine like what busy felt like. So it didn't feel busy in the same way, but it was still, you know, like extending myself and like holding space for people who are all afraid, right? Like we're all just trying to figure out What's happening? And so I, I think it, it really led me to reimagine like, OK, you still have to slow down, right? Like you still can't just be going, 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 even if it's just in your bedroom doing these <laughs> presentations. Oh my God. And then I think the next thing, though, 
is that it also led me to having a much deeper appreciation for the work that I do. Um, Because I do think during the pandemic, and I don't even think we have reached like the peak of the mental health concerns and issues that we're going to have to have as people kind of settle out of like, what is this trauma we've all experienced, right? And so I I think it has led me to also have a much deeper appreciation for the work that I do and a much more, um, you know, like wanting to be protective of it because it's going to be needed, right? So, So really trying to pace myself so that when there is maybe the greatest need, I still have something left to offer. Oh, when I tell you, Dr. Joy, the way I relate to everything that you just said, I think myself and and for for some others that I've spoken to, I think a lot of the people that were the healers and the helpers um, in that moment in time, we're kind of just settling into like I, I feel with my body, I'm just settling into what two years of that felt like, because when I really look back at it, I spent the pandemic in my house working more than I've ever worked. And I was showing up and, you know, it, it did feel like there was ease to it because I could, you know, have a dress top, but have my pajama bottoms or, <laughs> right. you know, you feel comfortable because you're with your things. And I have, you know, um, my favorite things in the fridge within reach. And, you know, so there was this comfort in this holding. But I look back and I said, wow, in the pandemic, I facilitated all of this healing work and I was in the midst of a divorce and I was raising a child who was two years old and, and, and I was in a pandemic too, you know, and it's just been really interesting seeing the gifts, but also really seeing the fatigue of that. And I think it's just starting to come online for some of us as the world, quote unquote, uh, gets back to normal. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> Whatever that means. Oh, Okay, you are in the midst of writing your first book, Dr. Joy. And when I have a chance to kind of read up on what it was about, I feel so excited because this conversation, your book, let me start by saying, is called Sisterhood Heals, and it's set to release summer 2023. That title, Sisterhood Heals, is so powerful. And I think we are in the midst of creating an entirely new template for what friendship can look like, and especially friendship among women and Black women. There seems to be this evolution in the air, this new understanding of emotional intelligence that people are trying to connect to. So what is this book about? Tell me the thing. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so excited. I feel so excited (laughs) to chat with you about this, Debbie, Um, because I've also heard you talk about this. I know that this is something that's important to you as well. Um, You know, but when I think about like who we have been as Black women and like what our history in the country has been and in the world, a lot of our surviving and thriving is connected to one another. Mm. And I think I have seen that even more so in the pandemic, right? Just around like mutual aid exchanges and, um, you know, offering what you have to your community and to your neighbors and all of those kinds of things. And so to me, it is crystal clear as it always has been that to get through this thing called life, it has to be together, 
that we need to do this thing together. And so the book is really all about a lot of my experience has been in facilitating group therapy. And so the, the book is really about the lessons and things that I have learned from group therapy that can also help us in our individual sisterhoods. So how do we pay attention wow. to the different dynamics that happen in sisterhoods and the changes? And if unfortunately a sisterhood has to end, how do you navigate that in a way that's mm. as compassionate and kind as possible? Mm, mm, mm. Okay. <laughs> Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> wow, God, this is so needed. This is so needed. And to what you said, you know, a moment ago, this is so important to me. And it's something, especially as it relates to boundaries with people and how we can have boundaries with kindness and compassion, that a friendship kind of gently falling off. It doesn't have to be beef. We, we can still think fondly of each other and just still move forward with our lives. Like these are things that haven't been naturally kind of shared with so many of us or role models in any way. I would love to start by grounding this and having, especially for everyone listening, Dr. Joy, what would be, what would you consider to be a healthy dynamic, a healthy template of friendship? What should healthy friendship feel like, look like, be experienced as? Mm-hmm. That's a big question. Um, so the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is reciprocal, right? So mm-hmm. it, it should feel like there is space for everybody in the circle to kind of feel like they are getting their needs met, but also meeting the needs of other people. Um, And I think when you talk about boundaries like you just did, that is where we often see that not happening, right? So sometimes there are are certain friends who are kind of stepping up a lot and then there is no space or other people are not really kind of doing their part. So the first thing is reciprocal. Um, I also think that it is a space where everybody feels celebrated. Um, You know, so when we think about a circle, like there is no one part of a circle that is like bigger or stronger, Mm. like we all come together to make the circle. And so when I think about healthy friendship, I think about a space where everybody feels celebrated and you are able to have your moment, but it doesn't diminish my moment or what can happen for me. Um, So a space where everybody really feels celebrated and also a space where conflict can be resolved in healthy ways. So I think when people hear conflict, they often want to run in the opposite direction. But conflict is natural and normal. Like it just means we maybe disagree on some things. And conflict actually can make your relationship stronger. But what really deteriorates our relationships is an avoidance of the conflict. Like we don't want to have the hard conversations. We don't want to say the thing. We don't want to address the elephant in the room. And it actually makes our relationships weaker. Um, so I think healthy friendships also involve an ability to really handle conflict. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay. Hold on. Cause I already <laughs> wrote, I wrote some notes. I want to go back. The first, the first, the first pillar that you spoke to was the word reciprocal. What is that definition in relationship? I found, and I had this clip that, that a lot of people saw last year where I, I was saying, I'm not available for anything that's not mutually beneficial. And, you know, I think everyone's vocabulary, the way they relate to words is different. So, so many got it. But then some people are like, mutually beneficial. So someone has to do something for you back. And, you know, and it's like, okay, so instead of mutually beneficial, Let's use the term mutually supportive. Let's use the term reciprocal. I think a lot of people, when they hear those words, they have this idea of more of a monetary exchange or something that is like 
you did this check. Now I will do this for you. Mm. And, you know, something that I've tried to share with people is like even gratitude is reciprocity. You know, even some like a heartfelt gratitude and appreciation for what I'm giving feels reciprocal to me because there is something for me in it as well. There is something that fills me, you know, what is reciprocal in in the relationship sense? Mm-hmm. I, I think of it in its simplest form as like a, a natural kind of give and take. And you're right. Like it's not a scorecard. It's not like a tally, yeah. like, okay, I did two things. And so now next week you have to do two things for me. I think it is more of a feeling of being mm. like in a relationship where you know that they have your back and you also have theirs, right? So it doesn't have to mean I, you know, did five things nice for you and so now you got to do seven. It is more like, do you feel like if you called on them in your time of need, they would be there? And I think it's important to think about, you know, like we all are human, right? And so there's yeah. all kinds of things that are often happening in our own lives. So there may not be times where we can be there for a friend in the ways that we want to. But I think when you look at the overall picture, the overall history of a friendship, does it feel like more often than not, this is somebody who you know is in your corner, who you can call mm. when times are tough and vice versa, right? Like it, it should should not feel like a one-sided kind of thing where you're the one always making the calls, always texting, yeah. always doing the planning. Like it should feel like everybody has a part in this friendship. Mm. And everybody's part doesn't have to be the same kind of part, you know? Right. I think um, in some friendship dynamics, it's like, well, I threw a big party for you. I wanted a big party too. And it's like, but are you the are you the person that's really good at that? Does that person know how to do that? Did you tell them you wanted that? You know, I, I think it's it's as we expand this conversation, it's so important to know that we should be bringing our strengths to our friendship. We should be bringing our gifts to our friendship, which means we'll all be kind of adding to it in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to touch on something you just said, Debbie, because I mm-hmm. think this is important. So the idea that I threw you a big party and so then I expected that you would also throw me a party, was that expectation actually voiced? So that is one of those things that I think also gets in the way of us having really healthy, full of relationships is that we feel like friendship should be natural, right? Like it kind of feels like, oh, we go to school together, you know, in our childhood, that is how we become friends, right? But when you are a grown up, you have to work a little harder at that. Mm. And sometimes what what is often missing is that we don't learn that we have to actually voice those expectations. In the same way we would do in romantic relationships, it's important right. to do that in in platonic friendships as well and other relationships. So I think that unvoiced expectation and the idea that they should just know that you wanted that to happen, well, how would they know if you didn't tell them? And it doesn't make them a bad friend because they didn't do it because you didn't let them know that that was actually an expectation. Wow, wow, wow. Mm. Everybody listening, I want you to sit in that for a second. (laughs) Take a breath. See how that feels. See where you land in that equation. and Just notice it. Wow. For, For those listening, because I think you know, especially for, for generations that came before right now, we've done an immense amount of unpacking. Major, major consciousness blocks and concepts over just the last handful of years, right? We have dove into women, um, you know, sexuality. We have d- dived into race deeper than we've ever gone. 
multiple cultures and that experience, especially within America, there have been so many unpackings in a short time. We're all kind of processing that. And I think, you know, something that many are coming to notice is a lot of us grew up in communities and households where the adults were emotionally immature. And there was just not a role modeling of behavior that can lead you in a life where you feel like a healthy, functioning adult that can meet your own needs. Um, So I think, you know, a lot of people that are even in friendships and communities that they do love, they don't know anything different. It may not be in the plan for them to uproot and find a new tribe. Are there ways to kind of bring some healing and to upgrade the way we are in friendships with each other without having to find new friends? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's basically the premise of the book is is this idea that, you know, and you're right, like a lot of us have not come from homes where that was role model for us. And, you know, generations and the generation before them, like a lot of what they had to do was really survival based. Right. Like so there yeah. were decisions that they made that unfortunately impacted us in some ways that, you know, didn't really foster our emotions. But in a lot of ways, it, it was what they felt like they had to do. But I do think because we are having these kinds of conversations right now, it provides an excellent opportunity for us to be able to do that healing work with one another. Right. So can I say to you as my sister, ouch, that hurt. And that doesn't mean that the friendship ends. It just means that this is now an opportunity for us to talk about it. And how can I hold you accountable? How can you learn from this situation and it not mean that you're a bad person? Right. I, I think we have to really look at our defensiveness and how that often comes up when we've hurt someone, but it doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means, ouch, that hurt me. And I want to talk about how we can continue to be in relationship and you not do that thing or you not hurt me in that same way in the future. Mm. So I, I think our sister circles really provide an important opportunity for us to actually do that healing work with one another. Wow. Wow. I'm so excited for all of us. This, this time of there just being more space for vulnerability. And there being like space for being in practice with the things that you just didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like there wasn't as much grace for those processes or there just weren't as many people trying to do it at the same time previously. Yeah. You, you use a very important word there, Debbie, practice. Right. Like we are all really just practicing being human. Like there is no perfection in as many, you know, workshops that we go to and books we read and podcasts we listen to. Like we're all just practicing. And so I think it is really important for us to be grace, gracious with one another. Um, but I think it, it had there has to be some limits to that. Right. So you don't want to be um, extending so much grace that you're actually betraying yourself. Yes. Right. You know, Ooh. so I, I think that there is sometimes work that we need to do individually. Um, that that needs to happen before we're really able to kind of be in circles in full ways. Um, And so I think that, again, back to our earlier conversation around boundaries, like you can't continue to let somebody kind of overstep your boundaries and and not kind of redraw them and say, okay, I would like to still be in relationship with you, but this is what it looks like. So maybe that looks like Mm. less access. Maybe that looks like, you know, just more spread out, you know, when we get together. But I don't think that you want to offer so much grace that you are then betraying yourself. Thank you for saying that because <laughs> a boundaried grace is what we're after. <laughs> mm, I love that. A I compassion love that. extended to self 
first, then others is mm-hmm. what we're after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, giving, you know, again, back to our earlier conversation about just how draining and how much has happened in the past couple of years. I think that that is also right. something that impacts our relationships is that we are trying to like offer for, with not from the overflow. Right. So the idea is that you refill yourself so that you mm-hmm. are able to be mm-hmm. in relationship with others from your overflow. But if you are all tapped out, that may be why you're a little cranky with your friends or why you're feeling like, oh, I don't want to answer this call. Right. So it, it does really have it. Ha- it goes back to really making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and doing the kinds of things that we need to do so that we can actually be in healthy relationship to other people. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But But nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. A new season of Bridgerton is here. 
and with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. One of the things um, I was finding that I was getting a certain kind of comment back in relation to anytime I put up content around friendships and Hmm. there was, um, I'll give you a scenario and I would love to know if you would walk us through uh, what this process is. So some people that are in friendship for, for many friendship is your created family, you know, that, that is maybe your safe space, safe space for the first time. But it also sometimes become becomes the space where you project everything that happened to you prior to the friendship. And it becomes a space where you kind of have toddler, childlike, bratty behavior that maybe you weren't allowed to have with your parents. And so I think, you know, something that people were saying to me is, well, you know, I tried to talk to this friend about this, but you know, they they don't even treat the ex that dogged them out the way they go off on me, or they treat the guy they 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 only dated for a month with more grace or more understanding, but there's all this expectation on me. What is that dynamic when we are projecting on other people some of that original wounding? What mm. is that? <laughs> Debbie, I feel like you have like an early copy of this book and you clearly do not because it, there is no early copy of the book yet. <laughs> uh, I would like one. And I think absolutely. that just absolutely. our souls are connected. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you're talking about, and again, why I think group therapy can be very powerful, what you're, be, what you're basically talking about, there is a, a term in group therapy called the recapitulation of the family unit. And so what often happens in a group of strangers, if we're talking about group therapy, is that there will be members of the group who will pull things from you that remind you of your original family unit. So you find yourself acting out towards a a group member as though they are your mother. And clearly Mm. it's not about them. It is what they have arisen and awoken in you. And in our sister circles, in our friendship circles, the same kind of thing happens. Like it is still a group dynamic. And so when you find yourself acting out or um, maybe wanting to be bratty, so to speak, or, you know, being super selfish, it is very likely that what's happening is that some of those childhood wounds or childhood areas that have not been addressed are present and you actually don't even know it. And that's something that often is playing out on the subconscious. So we don't always know this is what's happening. And so I think being able to have some of this language like, hey, they aren't actually reacting to me. They are reacting to the thing that my presence has now awoken in them that they have not dealt with. And so I think being able to, again, have Mm -hmm. honest conversations, you know, and the more we know about our friends and the more we know about their history, 
it is sometimes easier to kind of see that. Um, but but I don't want us to kind of try to play therapist with our friends, right? Yeah. It's not about us trying to do the work of, you know, therapizing and psychoanalyzing our friends. But I do think it can be helpful to be able to call call attention to like, hey, I wonder what's going on here. Like I'm noticing this dynamic where it feels like you're able to extend grace to other people and it doesn't feel like you're able to do that with me. I wonder if you've noticed that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so really just kind of calling attention to these mm-hmm. things, because, of course, they happen. Like we are with these people. You like you said, they are our created family. And what that means is that we then create some of those same dynamics mm-hmm. that we had in our families of origin. Woo! Ah, this book. Oh my gosh, this is going to be so powerful. Again, I'm going to say this title, and I hopefully by the time this airs, you can get that pre order on Sisterhood (laughs) Heals. It will be out this summer 2023. (laughs) Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. God, this book is so needed right now. And I'm so excited for everyone that picks it up because understanding this changes your life. Understanding this brings the ease that everyone is talking about. Ease isn't just, you know, like this is a moment where so many of us are reclaiming ease, rest. But what that means is like really doing the work to clean up your life, to pack in the empty places, more love, so that ease is is really the natural state, not the avoidance. and this book, we, we need to clean up our lives. We need to edit the intimate facets of our lives, our friendships, our households, how we show up in the world and our work. Mm-hmm. So Debbie, I want to I wanna turn the tables a little bit because I would love okay. to have this conversation with you. So one of the things in doing the research for the book, one of the things that kept coming up was how friendship dynamics changed after somebody got engaged are married. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it didn't always, I think the common thing people think is like, oh, somebody was jealous. And so, you know, they, I got, I got married first. And so then they got jealous and then the friendship ended. Um, And I'm wondering in some of the posts that you have, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, put up around friendship, has this conversation come up for you or do you have personal experience or thoughts about like why that dynamic changes when there has been like the presence of an engagement? Or a, a oh wedding. Gosh. Ooh, this is spicy, Dr. Joy. And this is, <laughs> it's so funny because just this past weekend, I was hanging out with some friends and I was talking about my experience uh, with some of my bridesmaids when I got married. And it was so interesting because there was one person who is no longer in my life. It was, it was, it was shocking yet not. You know, um, but it was it was fascinating to watch and confusing where I remember I got engaged and all of a sudden I found out way after the wedding, all the ways they were trying to sabotage the wedding, like not sending out invites to things like not inviting people to things that I asked because they had a personal issue with them, which created a rift for me and that person. Um and I've even heard from people, you know, situations where someone decided to get pregnant just because they wanted to have something going on to talk about while their friend was in their new marriage. And it's it's fascinating. It's absolutely mm-hmm. fascinating what comes up. And I was getting a ton of those responses of 
the the main way that people were um, responding with this dynamic, Dr. Joy, was around just feeling like they had lost something mm-hmm. more than anything. Yeah. Like it was more of a feeling of I've been abandoned or I won't have my needs met anymore. Um, and, you know, to my ear, that also sounds like some of those deeper woundings, those projections, those kind of throwing your needs and worth on someone else. Um, But that was the leading thing. People just feeling sad, feeling Mm -hmm. like now they'd have less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That is my assessment as well, is that oftentimes what happens in those situations is that grief is triggered, right? And we don't think about it as grief because one, we often think about grief only as like the death of a loved one, right? But there's all these other ways that we experience grief. And I think changing changes in a relationship that is super important to us even though it's a happy time maybe for our friend I I think we have real trouble like juxtaposing that to like ouch I feel like now I'm going to lose them right and so I, I feel like we we need to do a better job of having conversations around like I'm really happy for you but I'm also a little worried about what this changes for us and like sad about the fact that our dynamic won't, of course, be able to be the same as it was, you know, so I think all of this acting out that we sometimes see is really a grief response that people just don't recognize and don't have the language for. Yeah. And then sometimes for some people that that thing kicks in where you say, well, let me just sink this ship because then at least it's my choice. Yep. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. I'm going to get in front of it, you know, so so that it's, it was my decision. What What do you think of the story I told? <laughs> about the the bridesmaid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean I definitely think, you know, there was clearly something going on there and I wonder <laughs> if you saw signs like looking back, yeah. were there things that you recognized even before you got engaged that indicated like, oh, something may be a little off or something kind of feels unsettled about this person. You know, yes. And and that was a lot of my work um in in listening to my intuition. Like I have a very particular style of integrity that I move in the world with. And I I really believe in spiritual hygiene. And I think that uh, good choice making, compassionate choice making, it's incredibly important to my life. So I used to get those kind of worlds blurred where I felt like I had to, when I saw people that weren't in integrity, it was because they just didn't know and I needed to show or I needed to help. So I am a super, super reformed um, fixer and people pleaser. I, I'm the person that used to want to do everyone's work for them and just, no, 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 but look, read this book and did it. And I was taking it all on. And gratefully, whew, that is no longer my life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, when I look back at that friendship, absolutely. And we had been childhood friends and I saw those traits in that person. I remember clearly having, making mental notes way back at 10, noticing how they were kind of treating people or making things about them. And I just let it go on for way too long. And then I saw the biggest, you know, because when things aren't super affecting you, when they're more like kind of tiny irritations, it's just kind of like, yeah, that's them being them. Mm -hmm. But when you keep that dynamic in in your life, when they have the opportunity to do it at a higher stake, they will. And so you need to curb it when you first notice it. It is so important. Yeah. And who knows, you know, what kind of abandonment kinds of, you know, history there may have been, you know, I don't know, of course, this person, um, but what got activated, but clearly something got activated with your engagement, which then led to all of this behavior kind of really stepping up a notch. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, lasting peace. Mm-hmm. Lasting peace to all yes. involved. Right. Um, I have a very specific question for you. This okay. is, I'm so curious. You know, Dr. Joy, therapy for Black girls has been such a leader in the mental health space. One of the, one of the, you know, data points around therapy for Black women is that only 5% of U.S. therapists are Black. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to the importance of speaking with therapists that have a deeper understanding of your cultural needs, but specifically some of the personality traits, um, experiences, and trauma that seem to happen within particular communities? Um, is, it, is it important to find someone that looks like you or understands your experience mm-hmm. to unpack yourself with? Yeah. So I would say it is important if it feels important to you, Um, you know, because that won't necessarily be like a qualifier for a lot of people. Right. But I do think um, at least my experience has been that for a lot of black women, that does feel very, very important um, because there are some things that you just assume that another black woman will understand. Right. Like so Mm. when I think about like going through the pandemic and then, you know, all of the continued racial injustice you know, George Floyd being killed, Breonna Taylor being killed. You know, there are ways that I think Black women took in those stories and experienced those things that, you know, you just get, right? And so if I came to the session the week after finding out about Breonna Taylor, I'm not going to have to go into too much backstory with my therapist because my therapist is also a Black woman, um, because there are some things that I know that she understands because she's yeah. also a Black woman in this country. So I think for people who that is important, it is absolutely okay to kind of chase that, to, to look out that, look for that in your search. Um, but as you mentioned, there are not of that many of us, right? And so what that means is that, you know, either people end up on waiting lists or people will see therapists who aren't necessarily Black women. So that may mean um, that you see a Black man or somebody else, um, another person of color. But what that means for other therapists who are not Black is that there are some work that they need to do so that they are creating conditions that are safe for Black women to come into therapy to unpack these kinds of things. So, you know, there are lots of microaggressions and ruptures that happen with non-Black therapists because there's this questioning of reality, right? Mm -hmm. Like, did that really happen in the Mm -hmm. way that you are saying it? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, now tell me why you would be so impacted by, you know, this thing that has nothing to do with you, right? Other therapists really need to make sure that they are doing their own work so that they are not perpetrating those kinds of things that then make it difficult for people to even continue to believe in therapy. You know, Mm -hmm. so because a lot of our families, there's not a lot of history of, you know, parents and grandparents and aunties and uncles going to therapy. A lot of times we're the first ones who may be having that experience. And so if we don't have a good experience, then that sometimes leaves us feeling like, oh, this isn't actually helpful or this made me feel worse. So why would I pay, you know, somebody to go and do this thing? So I do think it is if it feels important to you to find a therapist who matches you in some way, it is Mm -hmm. absolutely okay to do that. But I do think that there are also a lot of therapists who may not match you, right? And so I, I typically encourage people to just be open to surprises, right? But not to, you know, betray yourself again by like continuing in weeks and weeks of yes. therapy with somebody who's like perpetuating racism against you. Absolutely not. There are some therapists who have done their work. They, they have done, um, you know, incredible work working with other Black women. And so they actually may be a good match for you, but you might not know that if you are not open to 
seeing if somebody else might be a good match for you. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. 
She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As people are looking for therapists, um, especially now because very gratefully, for the first time ever, there's this mass uh, movement to love yourself, to heal yourself, to get the tools that you don't naturally have. And it is gorgeous. <laughs> it's so exciting. And also for those that are coming to healing work for the first time, something I speak to a lot on this show, on this show Dr. Joy, is taking your time to research and um, date a little bit in this space, for lack of a better word, because as with any other field, as with any other anything, even with therapists, you have your extraordinary, you have your good, you have your solid, you have your mediocre, and there are therapists that are not good at what they do. It is every, this exists in every field and every walk of life, high and low. So you can't just think because someone has that title that that will be your perfect fit easily or that will be enough. Um, So any insight that you can share with everyone about really how to gain deeper insight on if a therapist is a good therapist, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Um, Right. Yeah. And I and I want to take that a step further, Demi, because somebody could be a good therapist, but not a good therapist for you. Mm. Right. You know, because, again, therapy is such a human relationship. So much of what actually is doing the work and healing is the relationship that you have with your therapist. And so somebody might be great, but they might just not be a great fit for you. And it doesn't mean that they're a bad therapist or that you're a bad client. It just is something about the dynamic that maybe is just not what you need, maybe in that moment. Um, So I also use a lot of that kind of dating language, um, although, of course, there are boundaries in in your uh, therapeutic relationship. But it is yeah, a don't series. Don't your therapist. Do not <laughs> right, like, that's not appropriate. We don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but it is a series of kind of like getting to know these people. So the, the, yeah. the great thing is that a lot of therapists have a lot of information about themselves out available to the public mm-hmm. now. So um, many of us have websites where you can learn more about our practice. Um, a lot of therapists create content. So you might find YouTube videos or Instagram videos or TikToks or, you know, Twitter posts that will give you a little bit of an insight around how they speak, you know, because sometimes therapists have a particular way of relating that you absolutely know, like, oh, this probably wouldn't work for me. And you can Mm. probably get a sense of that from a TikTok or from a YouTube (laughs) video. Um, So doing your research is really important. Uh, And then the other thing is that a lot of therapists will give you like a free 10 to 15 minute consultation 
to ask ah. any additional questions you have after you've done your research. Um, but as therapists, we're also listening for whether we feel like we would be a good therapist for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the other thing that you want to pay attention to is whether they actually have training and expertise in the thing that you're coming for. Um, you know, so you might find somebody's YouTube videos and think, oh, they are great. I would love to work with them. But then they actually are not trained in the thing or have additional expertise yeah. in the thing that you need. And then that probably is not going to be a helpful relationship because they may not know enough um, to, you know, to really help you through whatever your concern is. So hopefully the therapist would tell you that, right? Like, oh, you know, I love to work with you, but I actually don't think that this is my area of expertise. But let me give you some referrals. So that's the other thing about these consultations is that Mm. if we hear you talking about something that we, you know, feel like, okay, this is not my bag, then I also have, you know, a referral network of other colleagues who I think could maybe do some great work for you. So then I can maybe refer you to somebody else who could be a better fit. And I typically Mm. tell people, you know, Sometimes, you know, pretty early on, like, okay, I really feel like I'm going to be able to do some good work with this person. But sometimes it takes a little longer, right? Because you're trying to feel it out and like, okay, who is this stranger? And I'm telling them all of my business and they're not saying anything about themselves. Um, but but I don't want people to get like four months into therapy yeah. still questioning, right? So yeah. even I think early on, even if you're not ready to maybe share you know, some difficult things or you're not quite ready to, to kind of take yourself there, you can get a sense of whether this person is going to help you to create an environment that will allow you to get there. So it, it, there's nothing wrong with like warming up and like, okay, let me feel this out before I really dive in. But I think there should be some indications pretty early on that you feel safe in the mm-hmm. space, you feel comfortable, you don't feel judged by this person, you don't feel like the need to, to withhold, you know, like that it, it is often a yeah. place that you look forward to. Now, now, therapy isn't always easy. I don't want you to hear that. Like, there will be some weeks that you absolutely like, oh, I don't want to do this. But but it should feel more of a like, okay, I'm, I'm afraid to do the work, not I feel uncomfortable in this space. Yeah. Oh, oof, oof, oof. you gave us so many tools. You know, yes. And Because the thing that you don't want to do is have now therapy be another container for the behavior that you have done at other points in your life. So don't go in there and perform. You don't need to win them over. You don't need to get them to like you. You don't, you know, like, ah, this Mm -hmm. is the space to try out your new self. Yeah. Okay. My last question. And this is, this is actually more of a personal question. Okay. So for choosing a therapist, um, If you are someone who is highly self-aware that has done years and years of work and all different kinds of therapy, what is the best way to court a new therapist where you can say, I don't need to like start from scratch? Or is there a way to kind of show up if you're someone that has done therapy in the past when looking for a new therapist to create some baseline of these are the themes I've worked through? This is where I am now. This is what I'd like to work towards. How, you know, for those that have kind of been in the therapy world, myself included for a while, and you're looking for something more, but you don't want to have to start from the getting to know you phase, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, Debbie, I don't know that there's a way to get around the getting to know you yeah. phase. Because <laughs> every new person, <laughs> you, you're, you're trying to skip some steps there. So every new therapist, <laughs> is going to want to have their own relationship with you, right? And and I hear this a lot, you know, not necessarily just in the, like, I've done a lot of therapy and so I'm looking for something different, but 
um, you know, people who maybe have worked with a therapist for a while and feel like, okay, I don't, I don't think I'm getting what I need anymore. I need something different. They just don't want to have to like explain all of that backstory anymore. And I totally get that. You don't necessarily need to do that. Um, so one way around that, if you are interested, is that you can sign a release with your old therapist that allows them to give the new therapist records and, you know, they can kind of look through and whatever. Um, but the other thing to, to keep in mind is that you're not necessarily starting with a new therapist in the same place that you did with mm-hmm. the, the previous therapist, right? So if you now are wanting to work on more things, you know, related to like advancing in your career and, you know, whatever comes up there, you won't necessarily have to talk about the same like issues related to your childhood with this new therapist because mm-hmm. that is not as pressing. So any therapist that you are talking to is going to do what we call an intake where they're getting to know a little bit more about you and what's bringing you in. And of course, if you have had therapy before, you're going to they're probably going to ask you like, okay, tell me a little bit about your previous experiences. What did you like? Maybe what didn't work? But they're not going to necessarily take you digging back through all of those things that you had to Mm -hmm. do before, because that's not what brings you in now. And maybe some of that will come up, you know, as needed, but it's not where you're going to start. So it's not like you're going to duplicate what you've done with therapy um, in the past. Um, So, but for people who are pretty therapy savvy and like who have, you know, done a lot of different kinds of work, I think it could be helpful to find therapists who practice in different kinds of ways. Um, So Mm -hmm. as therapists, you know, we all kind of go through general training, but a lot of us do additional training and coursework on top of like our graduate degree to specialize in things. So, you know, you will hear a lot of therapists talk about um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, Mm -hmm. um, EMDR, which is a therapy kind of specifically helpful for um, traumatic experiences. But but a lot, there are also some therapists who practice like psychoanalysis, Mm -hmm. um, more insight kind of work. And I tend to think um, that that kind of work, like the more insight driven work is maybe a good place to kind of look for people who have done a lot of therapy. So maybe you're not necessarily looking for symptom reduction. You're looking more like, okay, help me understand these patterns. And, you know, I don't quite feel like I'm relating to people in the way I want. Insight-driven work may be a better um, option there and group therapy. So that is also something that a lot of people have not tried that I think can be incredible um, because there are insights and breakthroughs that you can make in group therapy that it would take like months to get to with your individual therapist, just because there are more people, right? Like there are more people for you to interact with and more people kind of, you know, awaken things in you. Um, So group therapy, I think if you can find it, is also another option for people who maybe have done a lot of therapy. This could be a different experience for you to kind of gain some greater insight. Mm, I love that. And it's also so powerful to watch someone being facilitated as they're as they're working through something. You know, it gives you kind of procedure for yourself for changes how you relate in your, mm-hmm. in your relationships. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Dr. Joy, thank you. I am just, I love being in conversation with you. I had the pleasure of being on your show, Therapy for Black Girl yes. podcast, and I did a meditation there. So anyone that is really loving this episode, um, please check out that episode too and all the others that Dr. Joy does. Your new book, Sisterhood Heals, is set to release this coming summer 2023. We need this. We need this. We need this. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Mm, Thank you once again, Dr. Joy Hardin-Bradford, for joining us on this really, really expansive episode 
And just take a second, you know, let's let's do a little soul work. Take a second after this episode clicks off, before you kind of jump into the rest of whatever you're doing. And I want you to just for your soul work this week, I want you to start to notice how do you define the word friendship? How do you define the word sisterhood or brotherhood? How do you uniquely define and experience the word community? And just allow that to kind of go back and forth in your mind for the rest of today, for tomorrow. If you have a notebook nearby, maybe jot those down. Those words, friendship, brotherhood, sisterhood, community. And as you think of those words, I want you to really challenge yourself to not just give it maybe the top of mind uh, definition of, well, sisterhood, it's a grouping of women or community, you know, various people coming together. Really think of what those words have looked like or not in your life over the course of your entire life. So how did you experience friendship as a child? How did you experience friendship as a teen, a young adult, someone in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s? How did that word evolve? How did that experience evolve? How was it felt by you? Get a little surgical with the way that you're investigating these words and do the same thing with sisterhood. What are thoughts or noticings about sisterhood at various stages of your life from childhood through now? And then after you spend a few days letting that kind of roll through your mind, let's take it to another step. And I want you to think of what all of those words, terms mean to you now and how you'd like to feel them or relate to them. So for instance, That word sisterhood, if that actually brings up some charge, some disappointment, some pain from earlier stages in your life, what is a way you'd like to know that word now? What could that look like now, opening yourself to wider friendship? And do that with each of those words. What would you like to be your relationship with friendship, sisterhood, brotherhood? community. There is no right or wrong. It is just your experience and your intention. Investigation is how we get free. Thank you for listening. If you have extra time today, take a second, go to the Apple app for podcasts and add a five-star rating. And if you have the time, write a little review. I appreciate it. And big love to everyone that has shared there already. Namaste. Hey, find me on social. Let's connect at Debbie Brown. That's Twitter and Instagram or go to my website, DebbieBrown.com. And if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and send this episode to a friend. Dropping Gems is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. 
It's produced by Jack Please and me, Debbie Brown. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.